So we just got off an incredible evening with the Be the Media workshop with Electronic Disturbance Theater 2.0. And for listeners who may not know your collective, the work that you do, could you please introduce yourself? Uh, My name is uh, Ricardo Dominguez. I'm a professor at the University of California, San Diego. And I was a part of Electronic Disturbance Theater 1.0 in the 1990s, and then with Amy Sarah uh, with uh, 2.0 in um, electronic disturbance activity. So we are two of five people. My name is Amy Sarah Carroll. Our collaborators are Brett Stahlbaum, Ellie Merman, and Misha Cardenas. Wonderful. Tonight was not only just a presentation from the two of you, it included workshops, which electronically it was very it was very um lo-fi yeah lo-fi <laughs> it was it was a lot of cutting out and drawing could you talk about how you conveyed your message tonight well uh, amy and i um have been considering the best sort of uh, ways of you know meeting the community here and uh, i've always uh, been interested in a conversation between Hi-fi culture, lo-fi culture, and no-fi culture. And the importance of no-fi culture being uh, the proactive impulse, the core of any hi-fi or lo-fi activity. Uh, So I think uh, Amy's gestures of drawing the border and... Undocumentation, Mm -hmm. yeah. We did not want to arrive and offer a presentation that participated in a kind of banking model. We were interested in engaging our audience. So this was what really made us want to think about what are some gestures that we can think about together so we can talk about our work and offer you a trajectory, a a really brief trajectory of our practice. But we were also interested in seeing you know, like how a conversation could be generated. And you referenced the um, Draw a Line workshop, which was the first part of it. And through that, we learned about your work on the border. So you have done some art on NAFTA in a book. And then there was also a uh, project that you talked about, which was the geopoetic... It's the transporter immigrant tool. It's a geopoetic system. It's a uh, tool that was developed um, in 2007. It used a very inexpensive platform, an iMotorola 355, uh, which is like absolutely low-fi compared to a hi-fi cell phone now. And the idea was to create a locative poetic system of sustenance for people crossing the um, Mexico-U.S. border, specifically in an area called Anza Borrego in Southern California, where activists have been water caching since 2000. And so working with them, it was a way to develop a simple compass-like tool that would leave, lead an individual to water but also uh, offer them uh, survival poetry, 
uh, how to read the landscape, uh, how to read uh, the stars in order to find access and safety. And as we developed the tool and worked with community uh, activists who deal with this, um, it really blossomed into uh, shifting the hi-fi vision that we have of smartphones and global positioning systems to what we call the geopoetic system or dislocative media uh, that um, offered the potential for tools to redirect uh, the notions of what poetry does, uh, how survival and languaging are an important aspect of human existence, if you will. So, not just drinking water, not just surviving to cross the land, but also a kind of awareness that human beings carry with them a deep aesthetic knowledge as well. Yeah, this really, um, the idea for the project came out of um, lengthy conversations within our collective. And this was, you know, 2010 is what we're talking about. So this is a project that um, emerged, really, we were developing it, thinking it in the years um, 2008 to uh, 2010. And um, the project was truncated in some ways because um, we were put under federal investigation, but it also became a discursive intervention. And we've really been thinking about the life of the project, regrets we have, but also ways that it emerged with a life of its own that we couldn't fully imagine when we began to work on it. It is interesting how... From my understanding, there was the surveillance and the key to it was art because art is often not taken seriously as a viable way of communicating and expressing ideas. Yeah, I mean, art was um, the kind of crux of the project that created, uh, I don't want to say a camouflage for the project, but a way in which the project was not read simply as a, um, a federal offense, right, which would be aiding and abetting crossers. So um, the project also, when I say it developed its own kind of circulation, that was within, within a museum and gallery circuit, right? So um, which also, again, gave it a stamp of approval being art versus activism. I know you're interested in this term we were using, artivism. Yes. So this might be a nice segue. Yes, and artivism, we were also talking before this, how art is really crucial to the success of any movement. Um, and I'd love for you to talk more about your labeling your own collective as artivism and how you use it. Well, I, I think uh, at the core is that it's artist-driven, uh, that it is focused on art based questions, and it tries to answer them as art-based reflections. So in the same way a painter or a sculptor or a musician might consider a line, uh, a, a color, uh, a form, for artivists we're thinking about uh, that element that would help activate, support, reflect, intervene 
within an activist sensibility, uh, but the priority is the art sensibility. Art as social force field, but also as social amplification, I think is important in artivism. I should say we did not coin the term artivism, so it's definitely within a certain tradition that was really emerging in the 1990s and earlier that was an incorporation of art into, um, and really thinking the role of art and poetry in certain instances within social movements. So um, we think of our work as operating in that tradition. Art first, activism as a place in which that thought, that deep fact of what the problems and issues are, um, are key as well. So, artivism is a way to synthesize uh, both the importance of art for us as practitioners and artists, and our concern with the knowledge base and focus that activism uh, requires and needs. And so, it's a synthesizing term an activating term, and at the same time allows art a certain presence that it might not if we say activism. Or maybe not art first. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming to the sanctuary. It was an incredible pleasure. We could go on much longer, but in our limited time left, you have this beautiful book that's this low-key black book with some... Uh, Textures. Yeah, some some type that's that's mm -hmm. hidden almost with some silver uh, punctuation on top of it. So could you well, read a poem? What's funny is that uh, it's the letter by congressman calling for the investigation. Actually, most of the noises mm -hmm. the, of the cover is um, uh, denunciations of the project. <laughs> mm -hmm. And some poems, but a lot of them are actually denunciations. And so we wanted the interior of the book to be quiet and the exterior to be very noisy, all of the kind of cacophony around the project. Interesting. And you've chosen a poem for us. Yes, I think it would be really interesting if we read this simultaneously in Spanish and English. Would that be too weird? Great. I love it. You want to read the Spanish and I'll read the English? All right. Is this good? Really? The desert, desert is an ecosystem with a logic of sustainability, of orientation, unique unto itself. For example, the barrel cactus, known otherwise as the compass cactus, stockpiles moisture. It also affords direction, as clear as an arrow or a constellation. It leans south. Orient yourself by this mainstay or by flowering plants that growing towards the sun face south in the northern hemisphere. That was really great. Thank you so much for coming to the Sanctuary for Hudson Mohawk Magazine, Amy and Ricardo. Muchas gracias. Thank you for inviting us.